You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. Hello, welcome to JBC Connect. We have another episode, and today I'm excited to have our guest is Reverend Douglas Aviles Bernal, who is the executive minister of the Evergreen Association of American Baptist Churches. And uh, that's a mouthful. We're going to explain, like, what is that? What does that mean? Uh, some of you might don't understand, like, what is Evergreen? Some of you might not know what American Baptist is. Um, we'll try and unpack some of that. And uh, beyond that, though, I'm really looking forward to just getting to know more about who um, Reverend Avilas Bernal is and, um, and uh, yeah, what he does. So thanks again, um, Doug. I guess, is it okay if I just call you that for the rest of the episode? <laughs> yeah, 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 no problem. That works out well. <laughs> Most holy, revered Doug. Um, and uh, Doug, I'm so thankful that you were able to uh, join us for this episode. Um, I thought before we get into anything about your role and what you're doing, uh, I think a lot of people would be really interested in just hearing a bit about your background, like what you've done. You've done so much. I feel like it's going to be almost impossible to summarize, but um, I think it's really cool. Like you're just very multifaceted. You have a lot of different uh a lot of different things in your uh, your background, and I thought it'd be really cool to just talk a bit about, you know, who is Doug and where he came from. So maybe you could just start off with that. Yeah, well, where to begin? You know, yeah. my so I'll just sort of quickly think. My my family is is a missionary family, mm-hmm. and my parents are from different countries. Mm-hmm. And my growing up was in third countries from that. Mm. You know, so so it was it was a good bit of of, of uh, moving in significant ways. Like we would move maybe every every three to four years, and and that. So on the one hand, that uh, that gave me a really amazing upbringing because I, I got to and and my parents really believe believe that that you you lived where you were. You know, because sometimes missionaries carve out a little piece of home in whatever country they live. Right? They just have. They, they gather with people from the country and they have a little piece of home there. And then they travel from that to the country, as it were, to, uh, to minister. My parents were the opposite. They, my parents really believed in fully living where you were. So they, we never stayed in sort of like expat communities or things like that. We always lived in places that people from the place lived. So that helped me see cultures in different ways and in deeper senses. You know, so yeah. so that helps with perspective tremendously, you know. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting. You're kind of just framing it and deciding like that. So, like, how would you identify, like, culturally or ethnically then? Because it's so diverse. Yeah, I, I don't. This is my biggest difficulty. Normally, my, my usual practice is to say that I'm from, I'm from the previous place I was at. So, so whenever, so right now that I'm at Evergreen and I haven't been here three years yet, I often say I'm from I'm from PA, from Pennsylvania, but that's just the place I lived at before. My difficulty in this question is that I don't have a I don't have a homeland as it were. There's no place where I feel I'm from. You know, as I I, I use nomenclature like if people ask me where I'm from, and, and generally people ask me when I, after I say I'm from PA or the US, they say, "But where are you really from?" You know, and, and uh, there's a little bit of a, you're a foreigner tinge in that, and you could ascribe negative or positive descriptions to that as you wish. But so generally, when pressed in that way, I say Guatemala. 
That's where my mom is from. That's where I was born. But uh, but my first move out of Guatemala is before I was three. So so am I from there? Yeah, I was born there. But so I don't know. That doesn't really quite explain it. But so I have no. no I, I think that's physical, great. Yeah, I have no physical attachment to a place. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to say like I really appreciate that, and I I kind of want you to flesh that out because I think that's huge. Because I'm I'm Korean Canadian, right? My parents um, immigrated to Canada. So I was born, um, I was born in Edmonton, Alberta, but then, you know, I've lived in four different countries. I'm now in the States as a permanent resident. And, um, it's, uh, this whole question of like identity and space, um, and the way we frame it, I think there's a real problem to it. Right. Because when it comes to people like us, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we get across that. And, you know, Doug, I've had the same experience as well as like, where are you from? And I'm, well, I'm from Edmonton. And they're like, no, where are you really from? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when I was living in England, um, I was talking to this young man. And when he came up to me and he saw that I was Asian in a very white town of Liverpool, um, speaking English, but American English to him. <laughs> uh, he, you literally just saw like his brain was melting. <laughs> like, <laughs> He just couldn't, he couldn't comprehend it because he just didn't have a, a worldview that was big enough to like realize mm-hmm. there's people like us, you know, who are mm-hmm. like, um, not just like monocultural or even bicultural, but maybe like multicultural. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that's just, I think that's just something that we really need to come to terms with, like have better language to talk about people and identities. Um, I think yeah. this would actually be really good to just move into is that, <clears throat> One of my first introductions to you, actually, um, I just knew your title, but the first thing that someone did to uh, tell me to get to know you was they showed me a book that you wrote um, about oh. diversity. And I know this is a big passion of yours, so I thought maybe going in, before we go into your title, maybe talk about this, um, this book and maybe your passion for diversity since we're talking about this stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, so this, this is the beautiful part about it because by being brought up as we are, right, the sense of loss from welcoming, welcoming diversity is not as big as someone who's grown up in the, in the same place all their life. Yes. You know, and I think this is a, the root of the problem, especially in the United States, that is so monocultural. You know, to welcome diversity, it feels like I'm being stripped of my home to a lot of people because home to them is rooted in this specific culture, this specific place, this specific space. And, and it seems to be a, a, a finite thing. It's a, it's a size. So it's not like they, it's, it seems like there's no language, like you said, from the guy in Liverpool. There's no language or mental space to grow that. So it just feels like any welcoming of the other is taking away from the space I already have. And, and, and that, I think that's at the root of the problem, right? So when, when there are people like us, like, for example, I don't have a spatial understanding of belonging you know, a specific land. So welcoming others is not a big deal for me because I don't feel like, it doesn't feel like an invasion. It feels more like, like, like another menu, another item in the menu, you know? So, so for me to welcome the others, sort of like, oh, cool. Let's, let's see what cool stuff you bring that I didn't even know I was going to love. But when you're in a monocultural world, in a monocultural space, speaking one language, uh, knowing one space, that stuff 
feels like it's taken away from me. You know, so so that's that's the pain of it. But the the reason I'm so for it and I'm so excited about it is that, <clears throat> well, I think it, if if God didn't want it, God wouldn't have created it. You know, so so uh, I often think of of uh, of uh, Saint Augustine. You know, it says all that is is good because God made it. You know, of course, then sin gets into that, but but at the core of that, right? So I think I like diversity because I say that there's got to be a good in it. And there's got to be uh, wealth there that we're not exploring. You know, just like perspective alone. And then maybe when we move into Evergreen, we could explore that part. But just perspective alone, as you welcome diversity, just improves your world tremendously. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's like, it's, this isn't just like a, um, like a trendy thing that we're pursuing. Like, and I really like what you're mm -hmm. saying because there really is like a whole biblical narrative from the beginning is that God is really interested in people and nations and diversity. Right. I mean, it's, uh, even though it started very particular people, right. There are even rules for God's people about outcasts and, um, you know, even in the time of Jesus, just like having, the narrative of wise men coming to see Jesus was like really like um, mind blowing, right? To see that this wasn't a message just for a one people group. It was going to be like, everyone was going to come to see Jesus. And um, you see that all throughout, of course, Paul's teachings, just being a missionary, going through the nations and revelation. Yeah. Um, and these are things, you know, but I, I guess I just really want to um, echo with you and like for our listeners to know that this pursuit of diversity is not just uh, you know, like a socially trendy kind of thing. Oh, no. I think if you really, if we're, if people are prepared to hear it, and that's the difficult part, but if you really yes. want to push it, one of the things I think, one of the most powerful messages about this is that when there was a monoculture that was so good, they thought they could be the best ever and maybe even reach into the sky. What God did was create yes. diversity to keep them from loving themselves too much. Yes, you know, yes. in the Tower of Babel, yeah. right? That, that's yeah. the thing said. You think you are too much because you're mm -hmm. the only thing. Yeah. So, diversity was introduced as yeah. a means yeah. to say, in essence, get over yourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, isn't that like such a powerful message? What you just said, like about the current like um, tribalism that keeps happening mm -hmm. in our world today, like that just really is such a relevant, strong story to just like what is going on. So I think this is really great to maybe segue a bit and to tell us a bit about um, what is this association of churches that we're in called Evergreen? Because um, uh, it's very unique. And I'd argue, in my estimation, and talking to some of my peers, I think it's unique in the entire country, um, mm -hmm. just of its approach and what it's trying to do since we're talking about diversity. So maybe just in your own words, could you introduce us to this lab, introduce us to the, what Evergreen is? Yeah, I have a question before that. Should I introduce yeah. the, the ABC American Baptist Church's thread into that or start with Oh, that? yeah. That's a good point. I, I, what, what do you feel is best? Um, I, I think, I think you, there's I'll, a thread. Yeah. I think there's a thread. So I'll do it quickly. So sure. uh, ABC American Baptist Church is, is on its second or third name, but it all started. We were just a Baptist association altogether, started in the early 1600s in Philadelphia. And it grew throughout the country as we became a country. I grew through the colonies and we became a country. Then just before the, the Civil War, 
there was a big debate about whether our missionaries could take their slaves with them into the field. And one section, the Northern Baptists said, no, we should not have slaves. They were, they were abolitionists. And the Southern section said, of course they should bring their slaves. How are they going to do ministry if they had to do all these other things? So, so that's where the big split happened. So we became the Northern Baptist, and then we had the Southern Baptist. The Northern Baptists have more of transformed, adjusted, changed. So have the Southern, but the Southern have kept their name. They're still the Southern Baptist. Uh, we are now American Baptist Churches USA. So we were born out of, out of the struggle for freedom toward welcoming, right? Because we wanted to say, even in that time and that language, even the blacks are welcome as children of God, whereas the other side was saying they're not our equal, so they're not. So we were born out of that. There were there were a, a bunch of other things that 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 American Baptists have done. We have always been on the side of freedom. Of course, there are exceptions because we we're free to decide, but generally, there's been an American Baptist group, congregation, etc., on all the big milestones towards freedom. So the suffragist movement. The, the civil rights movement, the, the abolitionist movement, you know, so there's always been many of our churches in the Northeast were part of the Underground Railroad, for example, you know. I pastored a church where our mother church had uh, compartments, hidden spaces in the church building to house runaway slaves. So, then, so from that journey is that Evergreen, once again, is born out of conflict. <clears throat> what happened was there was, a, there was a church that had been welcoming and affirming of, of if, if, if you're in the religious world, you know what that means. But if you're not, in essence, it means that it's a welcoming of those who feel that the homosexual lifestyle is, is, is from God in a way, right? So this church was welcoming. And affirming and the difficulty was they decided to make that public and the association which was called the american baptist churches of the pacific northwest then did not like that they were fine with the church being sort of private about their welcoming but once they made it public they didn't really like that at all so they moved to this fellowship to church what happened then was remarkable a bunch of other churches in the greater Seattle area said, if you disfellowship them, you have to disfellowship us. And not all of them were welcoming and affirming. They were just saying, that's not, if we're going to talk about freedom, then let's find other ways. So then it became a problem because now it was a significant number of churches. And they spent a long time arguing and they could find no way to reconcile those two things. And that's how Evergreen was born. It, it, was, it started with one church, but what made it happen was the support of others who were not necessarily of the same mind as that one, but they were in support of their freedom and understanding of the gospel and God's love. Mm -hmm. And then, so, that's, how, how, so just for, for listeners who are kind of new to this story, like how long ago, like what year was that? Or like Oh, this was in that? the this early 2000s. It sort of started in the <clears throat> late 90s. But by 2001, two and three, that's when all of this happened. So it's very, very new. It's a very new group. Yeah, I, I just want to highlight that because if you're following like American churches and stuff, I would say this dialogue is actually 
much further ahead than other parts of the country mm. in my estimation mm-hmm. in terms of like the conflict and that kind of that kind of subject so like when they're going through it um there probably weren't a lot of other denominations or traditions that they could look to to kind of see like well what did they do right um, right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it was early on and it's it's that has been the case with american baptist churches in every instance so yeah. when we went through the female ordination struggle it was ahead of many others as well. Yes. You know, women ordained in the seventies and, and, and such. So, yeah. yeah, so it's, 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 it continues this thread, right. Of being mm-hmm. on the risky side of freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I think that's, Oh, sorry, go ahead, please, please. No, no, that's, 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 that thought was complete. Uh-huh. Well, no, I, I just, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. It's so amazing because, um, it's, it, kind of, my mind is swimming just to kind of like think of wonderful things to talk about. But um, I think it's interesting, right, how you framed it, because it started with a particular issue, but it wasn't actually about the issue itself. It was more about what the issue was about, was that it was basically um, the reason why churches stood in solidarity with that church was because they knew like Baptists are about the freedom of like self-defining their congregations. Yeah. And they felt like this was at risk. So it wasn't so much they were trying to change that church's um, issue. And I, I think it's it's fair to say, like, the church we're talking about is Seattle First Baptist, right? That was at yes, the, yes, the locus yes, of all yes. this. Um, uh, for our listeners, I think that's okay. So, um, but yeah. it's interesting is that the people that were in solidarity weren't about, like, we're going to change Seattle First. It was more like we want to stand in solidarity, whether we agree or not, because Baptists really value um, that churches have a right to be self-defining and they want to really um, make a statement about that. And I think that's yeah. a very different nuance, right? Than a yeah. denomination coming from on high and just trying to make everyone agree to the same position or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a significant, and, and also there's, there's a tinge of, of something that I find very important that says that if you feel someone is outside or beyond where they should be, the last thing you should do is leave them or force them to go. You should yeah. remain in, in 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 covenant relationship with them, mm-hmm. you know. And that's a but that's a difficult way to go, right? Because the easiest way is to keep purifying by excluding, mm-hmm. you know. So you just keep you keep excluding the people who don't think like you do, and it, it narrows and narrows, and then and then it, it could there's a danger in that, which I think you because the Tower of Babel, right? Like that's right. Saying. Yes, yes, <laughs> the very same danger in that. Yeah. You know, if you're only spending time with people who think exactly like you do, yeah, there's no growth, there's no depth, mm-hmm. and you're on the risk of becoming an extremist in the negative sense of that. Because mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think Evergreen, and maybe if we want to move there now, Evergreen is an extremist in the positive sense of the word. You know. Yeah, I mean. and I think that's really exciting to just think about how this is actually a template, even though this is 20 years ago we're talking, it's so relevant to what's going on right now is that I think there's um, the whole thing with like cancel culture, uh, just Mm. a lot of like fear is that whoever we stand in solidarity with, like it's immediately means endorsement too, which it Mm. can, but like this whole thing with like evergreen is shown, you can be in solidarity. doesn't necessarily mean endorsement, but it can also just mean like the solidarity may be greater than that. Is it, is it really like a one-to-one thing? And if we can nuance it better, then maybe it we can get out of this cycle of it feels like all we can do now is like choose our tribes, you know, 
Yes, yes. But like, how, how could we like figure out a way that, hey, we can be in a, a diverse group of tribes, but, um, but still like unified, you know? And I think that's the only way forward, right? In this current time. I agree. And that's what I love about our system, right? It says, in essence, is it says, we, we value your tribe and we profoundly appreciate your depth of attachment to it. So we want to preserve that mm-hmm. while at the same time, we want to remind you there are different tribes who are just as valuable as yours. Yes. How can we live together? Yes. Because living together mm-hmm. is a better option. So I love that about everything. You know, it's all, it's, I think it, I think this was a godsend in the sense that it's almost as though it was designed for these times. Yes. without knowing right it was a yeah. very prophetic thing not in the sense of foretelling but in the sense of preaching the good so it's a right it's so i would describe it in like sort of an elevator pitch i would say it's it's, it's radical christ-driven equality more like mm-hmm. equity mm-hmm. in that it, it has two main components it has to be diverse and it has to value that diversity profoundly in what they are right so so should I give you a rundown of, of, of the who we are now or yeah, yeah, please do. And I think it's really important that you also talk about how unique the um the governance structure is, you know, mm. it's just very unique uh, in mm. the way it was decided. So yeah, please, please tell us more. Yeah, so we'll go so we'll say so the most controversial thing about us is that we are we are organized in ethnic caucuses. Right. So 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 we have uh, a black caucus, Euro caucus, Asian caucus. And Hispanic Latino caucus. Usually, people who don't see color tells us that that's just that's just separating people by race, and it increases racism. The way, but but it doesn't work the way for us because the reason we do that is to value who God has created and how God has created us, right? So, say God has created us in different ways, and these different ways have general categories. You know, so we have Euro-Americans in this country. We have we have African-Americans. We have Hispanic Latinos. We have Asians. Each of those, of course, has a wealth of, of diversity within them as well. You know, but there are these sort of um, things that, that help us. Now, being divided in that way, then we had to do something on the governance side to help us keep from ruining it ourselves. So what we do then is that, for example, quorum for us is not number of people. Quorum for us is presence of diversity. So we cannot make any choice of significance if our diversity is not fully present and heard. And that's very important for us. You know, and then, and then we make sure that that diversity is applied at every level in our organization. You know, from 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 our churches to 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 committees to the executive board, which functions sort of as a as a governing board of the association. Our executive board has to have two representatives from each caucus at all times, and if they're not present at a meeting, we cannot make any choices. You know, so so it's this constant reminder of the value of God's given diversity and the importance of their presence in order for us to make a choice. You know, so, so we, in essence, we're living into Romans by saying that we're all part of the same body. 
to one has been given this, to one has been given that, you know, and that, so we want to live into that. So that's one aspect. So that's the diversity part, right? To say that, that we feel that because God created us in this diversity, we could only function by acknowledging, welcoming, and listening to the, to as much of it as we can. Yeah. And I just want to like insert here yeah. why I think it's so interesting is that like the divisions that you're talking about of caucuses is not for the sake of like profiling or, or whatever, but it's really um, an equal distribution of influence and voice. Right. I mean, I think in that way, it's so innovative because uh, to know that like I'm a part of the Asian caucus and to know that my voice is just as strong as the Euro caucus or the black caucus, that's something that I haven't experienced um, in the many different church traditions I've been in the past. It's often been, and it's been very demoralizing and discouraging. It's like, well, I guess I could get involved at the denominational level, but I just don't feel like they take me seriously or I don't have a platform or my voice will not be heard as much because of the size of my church or my, how I look or something. But um, Evergreen's like this organization of the caucuses is extremely empowering um, in that all are equally valued. And we can't go ahead without um, any of the caucuses left behind. So we're all in it together for better, for worse, you know? And if it's going to be hard and long, then so be it. And I think that's just yeah. a really profoundly countercultural approach, right? I mean, I don't know oh, yes. many models. I don't see that really happening anywhere right now. Um, that is beautiful. But and I think so yes, powerful. Yes. I think an important part that I forgot to mention was that another benefit from this is that we understand that there are cultural differences and with them comes wisdom. Mm -hmm. We know that each culture approaches issues differently. Mm -hmm. So by having all of our cultures acknowledge, we get the benefit of this broad perspective on any issue. You know, so whenever something happens in this country or in the world, it's very likely that we as Evergreen not only have someone who's intimately related with that, but we have the benefit of seeing it from their perspective. And that's just richness that is remarkable. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, that's the wonderful thing about it. Yeah, and I think it's also maybe, I really want to highlight too, something that I'm observing about Evergreen that's really interesting is that uh, it did start because of the schism in the Northwest, but we're starting to draw people from all over the country. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not like we've been advertising, right? I mean, you've told me right. that. But I'm very deliberate are, about not advertising. Yeah, uh, but people are so interested. And, and there are people, again, it's not like one issue. Right. It's not mm, like mm -hmm. uh, this is what I find really interesting about Evergreen is that it's not defined by a proposition or an issue, but its actual key value is diversity and equity. Right. And mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. and because of that, then it attracts a lot of people who are on the margins yeah. um, with different issues and, yeah. and different. And, and it is like theologically very diverse in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it very much is. And, and, and I love that. So, for example, here's a, a beautiful way to put it, you know, to say if we were led by traditional understandings of power, right, then, then so, for example, if we were led by number of churches or Euro caucus would win every time. If we were led by number of people, our black caucus would win every time because one of their churches has almost as many people as all of our Euro churches combined. And if we were led by either of those, the Asian and Hispanic caucus would lose every time. 
you know, that's just the way it would, it would go because mm-hmm. so, so we have this radical equity that, that in some ways would seem unfair to many. So for example, it would, it would seem that it would be unfair to the, to the black caucus, you know, because if we went by numbers, they could just bring, you know, their churches into a voting place and they would win everything all the time if they could be united on anything, but they get two representatives. If we were same with the Euro caucus, everybody gets two representatives. So the value is not necessarily in in the temporal benefits that you bring. You know, so it isn't how rich you are or how many people you have, but rather the value is in how God has created you and how that benefits the community. Yeah, and that's a remarkable upside down uh, sense of justice. You know, so right, and, and that's such in contrast. Like even within the Baptist tradition, there are places mm. where I'm observing certain churches because of um, their their pull, like like financially, or like just of mind share of like people knowing like this is a flagship church of some kind, whatever that means. Like they mm. can they can push things more, right? And then <clears throat> when you're talking about, for instance, um, churches that are based on like a community of immigrants or something, which many Asian American churches are, um, they can really be left on the margins. Like um, I've heard about some churches assessing those smaller immigrant churches and seeing them as failing or Mm -hmm. as insufficient Mm -hmm. according to like a white culture standard, you know? Yeah. But um, that's why minorities don't go to that church. And they're kind of like scratching their heads. Like, why is that? And, um, and I think this just kind of like leveling of the playing field realizes and recognizes that we need all churches of all kinds yeah. and they all have a valuable place in the kingdom of God. And if we could have these kind of things, we could just, you know, just stop wasting all that energy and comparing and, um, uh, and just realize like we're all in this together. I think it would just be such a, a shift. And I feel it when we get together at evergreen in our annual meetings that that camaraderie and that support it's definitely more than I've seen in other larger denominations I've been a part of. Yeah, and, and it really, I mean, I love, it really lives out the body imagery, right? So it yeah. really lives out that how could the ear tell them, the eyes, I do not need you, right? Yes. And so we understand we're radically different communities of faith mm-hmm. that at the same time cannot tell each other, I do not need you. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I, I love that about evergreen Mm -hmm. Uh, so maybe i'll give you a rundown of of the way we function in order to make choices right the process for us to make choices which i think illustrates this this radical equity you know so so whenever we have a choice of importance all caucuses gather together so that we all hear the same words being said at the same time we all we are we are all in agreement have heard this how we interpret that is different but that we have heard the same message is what's important for us so we all hear it together then we split into our caucuses and run it through our cultural communal tribal filters to understand our perspective on it and to get our opinion of how we feel about this question once we've done that then we come back as a community, and each of the caucuses tells us their perspective and their opinion on the matter. And if we take any of those out, our system doesn't work. 
It has to have all of those steps in it. But what we get at the end of that is, is we all get to sit in a room and get this beautiful picture that is broad and deep on the issue from various perspectives, right. as long as we're willing to listen to it. And it is only after that that we get to the question of what should we do about this. Right. And it, I mean, and that's more difficult. Not everyone will be completely happy because like they're not, mm -hmm. no one gets completely what they want, but it, it does a spiritual discipline of like serving others or like submitting and um, mm -hmm. leaning into mm -hmm. others, right? So that we can all come together, which is totally what we need right now in the world. Um, yeah, and, and it's a spiritual discipline because any yeah. caucus at any moment could stop the process and we have to go back to our caucuses yeah. with that particular group's suggestion and see what we decide. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a profound, intentional work, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I'm blown away by like how quickly time is passing. Um, <laughs> I, I just feel like I could talk with you forever about this because it's there's so much I want to say. And uh, I do this to all the people I'm interviewing lately. And I say, like, we're going to we're going to talk again. So Doug, probably in the future, I'm going to tap you again. We'll, we'll talk more because there's so much Sounds more. Um, it's, it, I find it very easy to like ask more questions about this stuff. Um, maybe in closing, uh, maybe you could tell us a bit about what are your hopes for where Evergreen is and, um, uh, I mean, where we're headed, I guess, like hopes of what you think Evergreen could bring to where we are right now, just like with everything that's going on in the country, which is many, uh, but yeah, maybe some of your thoughts as the, as the head of this. Yeah, part of our vision as Evergreen says that we will we will share our unity with the world. And that's where I would like Evergreen to continue to work on to say to say that there is a way forward that includes us all and includes our differences going forward as God wanted it. So I think part of our reconciliation process and our our choice making process is a beautiful way to engage with the difficult in a way that is healthy, keeps our eyes on the issue, not our differences, and, and, and recruits our differences to aid in getting more sustainable solutions. And one of the things I like about Evergreen is that our process allows us to make a choice that is more sustainable. Because even the ones who lost are not the losers. You know, They're just the ones who decided to make a choice for the community at that moment. And they know it will be better in the end for everybody. And that's a remarkable difference. You know, whenever you get into winners and losers, uh, you're in trouble. You know, but when you get when you get to a place where you say this is best for the community, even if it's not exactly what I want, then that's different. Then 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 that has love in it, and then that makes it a more sustainable choice. And that's what we want. So I think one of the things that Evergreen could contribute is that. And lastly, I'd say that the other thing that Evergreen could contribute to is that our system is designed to keep power from pooling any specific place. So we're always fighting against the, the, the power pooling somewhere, you know, not, not as in the sense of the pool, but as in the sense of P-O-O-L. You know, we want to keep power from being gathered in a specific place. And I think that's a system works well when it's always working to keep any group from having too much power. Mm. You know, so it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I think it's, it's amazing. And, you know, for me, I just take a lot of comfort in knowing that um, that this is a that Evergreen was birthed 20 years ago. Mm. And um, 
that it's been a part of the mission statement of Evergreen to talk about like diversity, about recon racial reconciliation, uh, questioning like um, the corruption of power. Like it's just, it's, mm -hmm. it's in its like f uh, formation DNA, you know? And um, mm -hmm. so it gets, and then it is working. It's not like a, a, a faddish, like idealistic thing. Like it's been working for 20 years and it continues to grow and, and mm -hmm. gather attention. So when we're kind of facing this unprecedented time, like in 2020, um, mm. it just helps me to know that Evergreen has been doing this for a long time. And uh, because they have been doing it, like we can do this going forward. So it gives me yeah. a lot of hope for the country is that um, maybe we don't have to create something unprecedented and new. Like uh, maybe the answers are right here and uh, maybe we're further along than we realize. And so I'm really hopeful about that yeah evergreen um, has grown every year and we'll be welcoming new churches again this year mm -hmm. yeah I, I have no doubt and i i can't help but wonder if um we're just going to keep growing because people <laughs> want to i mean not that uh we're forcing this we're not doing a campaign for it but it just feels like i can just see a lot of churches would want to be affiliated with this kind of uh philosophy and approach um Doug, I, I am so thankful for this conversation. I can't say enough how, how much of a blessing it is. And I, why I'm so excited about this particular podcast and our conversation is like, I think it's so much more than just a JBC podcast episode. I feel like uh, this is so relevant to so many different peoples, like even outside of faith. Um, mm -hmm. uh, just to hear that we're talking about this very thoughtfully from our spiritual perspective. So mm -hmm. really, I'm really going to be praying for... Um, what God will do with this uh, conversation that we've had, even though it's short, I feel like there's Amen. a lot God could do with it. Um, and the, the last thing I'm going to say really quick before I go out, um, I know I did that twice. I guess preachers do that. We always tack on one more thing. <laughs> That's right. yeah. uh, this is something I just been dying to ask is that this story of Evergreen is so special and so precious. I really hope we can get it out there publicly. Like um, I would love to have this on the website, like just, what you did at the beginning, if we could just like notate that or something, just like slap it on there, like the dates. And, um, I, I, I want to like, I just want people to like, they could go Wikipedia, like just find this, mm. you know, like, cause it's mm. just such a good story to tell, you know? Um, I, I agree. So you do uh, just my two cents. <laughs> anyway, oh, thank you. Thank, thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, uh, Reverend. Um, always a pleasure. I always enjoy talking with you. Um, really blessing you and your family. Um, through these uh, special times. So thank you again. And uh, yeah, and tune in next time for uh, JBC Connect, where we'll have lots of guests, reflections, and all kinds of things coming your way.